Well, I'm Van. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm really, really honored to be here with you today in a full house to share with you uh, the second part of our devotions series and uh, teaching us really how to explore the Bible and how to apply the Bible to our personal life. Uh, you know, the Bible's alive, it's powerful, but it's no good unless I can apply it to my life, right? And so today, we're just going to get into that. That's our goal. And uh, I wanted to start with some scripture to kind of set the stage for what we're doing. And in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, these are going to be on the screen for you. Uh, it says, for the word of God, or we learned last week, the Bible is the word of God. Sometimes we forget that the Bible you hold in your hands, uh, that is the bona fide word of God. So the word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joint and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So it's alive. And not only is it alive, but in 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says all Scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable. It does us good for to teach us, to reprove us, to correct us, for training in righteousness, how I many of you know you need to be trained in righteousness? And that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so last week, if you weren't here last week, you might just jump on your, your, your phone, get on the, the website or the Facebook or, or YouTube and all the different uh, platforms. You might listen to last week's message. But just kind of key in on this, and you might want to take a picture of this particular slide, the Bible study tools. Just a quick reference there to help you to see uh, different ways that you can study the Word of God. When we first got saved 42 years ago, we like had a Bible and a concordance and, and a Bible and a concordance and <laughs> a note that you took from the preaching, and that was it. But now all you got to do is say, hey, Siri, uh, tell me something about the Bible. Oh, look, see that? Just there we go. <laughs> you, the Word of God is alive and powerful. That's how easy it is to get the Word of God nowadays. And so um, we also use the method that, we, that might help you in your Bible study uh, because you're all going to begin to study the Bible much, much more after this series. And it's really three questions you want to ask uh, when, you, when you interpret the Word of God or when you get something out of it. And one is, what, what will I learn about God? What do I learn about God in what I'm reading? And then number two is, what do I learn about people uh, me first, and then people second. What do I learn about us? And then the third question you need to answer is, you know, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do with what I, what I get? And so if you'll ask those three questions, and we're going to be using those uh, in this entire series to help you to see how you can get something out of the Word of God. It's very, very important because I can't really apply if something if I don't get something. And so here we go. Uh, we're in the book of Philippians. Now, we're using the one-year Bible reading here, which is really phenomenal. We've read through the one-year Bible several times. And it, it is where you just read uh, each day. You get a, a psalm, a proverb. You get an Old Testament reading and a New Testament reading. And you'll be astonished at, at, at how relevant those scriptures are for your personal life on that particular day. It's just amazing how it works out that way. And so today we're in the book of Philippians. 
That's our New Testament reading for this past week. And uh, just to give you a little overview of the book of Philippians, it was written by the Apostle Paul around somewhere around 61 A.D., about 31 years after Jesus uh, died. Uh, it may be a few years off, who knows, you know, but that's what we, we hold to, most of us. And it was written from Rome, and Paul was in prison, <clears throat> but not in a jail. Actually, Paul was in a rented home, and he, was, uh, he had a guard sitting there with him. I guess it would be like today, he'd probably have a, a bracelet on, you know, house arrest. And uh, he, would, he would have people coming and going, and he would share the word of God. And that's where the book of Philippians was written. Now, the, the, uh, the initial purpose of that book was f- uh, for him to really thank the, the Philippian church because they had supplied him with necessities as he went on his missionary journeys. But it also has a lot to do with other things, including joy. Uh, he, he, he was teaching the people how to uh, handle false teachers who were constantly infiltrating the church with false doctrines and, uh, and several other things, you know. I, I believe proper thinking was good. Peace was a, a very important part of this book. And so we're going to jump right into it right now and, and let's see what God is going to teach us out of his word today. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 1, the Bible says, Therefore, my brothers, when I, uh, whom I love and long for my joy and crown, Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat you, Odiah, and I entreat Sutakane to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companions, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clements and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness or let your mildness or your gentleness, your kindness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers... Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray together right now because we need the Lord to open up our hearts and our minds our understanding, and teach us in the spirit from the word. Father, we humble ourselves before you. We thank you for the cross of Jesus. We thank you that the debt has been paid for our sin. Our nature has been changed. We thank you that, Lord God, we can understand your word, and we pray that you would open up the eyes of our understanding today, that we would receive something from your word that impacts not only this life but the life to come. We thank you for what's going to happen today in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. So we ask the questions about these verses that we read. We say, well, you know, what, what do I learn about God in these particular verses? What, what can you get out of these? What, what, what is God telling us? And I think the first thing we need to understand that God is the only source of real peace. Now, you need peace. I don't know if you realize that you need peace, but all of us need Uh, 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 an amount of peace that steadies our life. And so God is the only source of real peace. In the seventh verse, he said, "And and the peace of God, 
which surpasses all knowledge or all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. The, the peace of God. You know, I, I'm amazed in this verse. He really teaches us something very powerful because there are two phrases that we just read. I don't know if you caught it, but it talked about the God of peace, but it also talked about the peace of God. And you, you, it's impossible to have the peace of God unless you know the God of peace. It, it's so essential that you are converted in the spirit and that you are not only known by God, but that you know God. And when you know God, you will know the peace of God. It's real. It's tangible in our life. And, and the thing about it is this, is that genuine peace is totally spiritual because its source is God and not outward conditions. And we got to get this. I, I think it's time that we get this nailed down, that genuine peace is spiritual. It's not of this world. It's not about money. You know, I think about money. Money doesn't bring peace, right? Material things, they, they don't bring peace, but they bring comfort, right? Like someone said, uh, money is no problem until you don't have any. And then there's a situation there. So money brings comfort makes us comfortable, but it doesn't bring peace into our life. Jesus taught us this way. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Now get this. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let your hearts not be troubled, neither let them be afraid. See, it's not the peace of this world. This world does not afford us peace. It's, it's, it's like Jesus said, hey, listen up now. Uh, if you go to the world for peace, it's not there. I'm leaving you something that's tangible and that's going to hold you through eternity. And so God is the owner. That's what we learn. We're learning that today. You're getting it. You're getting it in the spirit. And God is your owner. So if you're chasing after something else to give you peace, you might as well just stop the chase, do an about face, and now instead of chasing that false peace, start embracing the real peace. It works. It's real. It's tangible. The next thing we learn about God is that God guards our hearts and minds and lives. He really does. That same verse, verse 7, it ends with, and he will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's in Christ. You see, so uh, if I'm not <clears throat> in Christ, then... How am I going to be guarded by God? So he guards our life. He, you know, the Lord in Isaiah 26 puts it this way. You, talking about the Lord, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. God is always taking care of his people. We just sang songs about this. As a matter of fact, I'm amazed at how all the songs tie into this very message. It's just amazing that he walked the children of Israel through the Red Sea. He guarded them, a, a pillar of fire at night, a, a cloud in the daytime. He, he did that. He guarded uh, lots by sending angels to, to get him out of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's amazing how God uh, helped Peter out of jail, sent an angel to, to set him free out of jail. It's just a miracle. Can you imagine walking out of jail with an angel by your side? He said dreams to Joseph. An angel in a dream came to Joseph and said, get Jesus out of here and go to Egypt. It's just amazing how God 
helped. Like Paul, when Paul was about to be murdered by a, a crew of guys, his nephew just happened to overhear uh, the plan and went and told Paul and it saved his life. God is guarding our minds, our hearts, and our lives. God guards me. God guards you. This is what we learn about God. And how does he do that? How does, how does God, you know, he, can, he does miracles? This is a house of miracles. This is the house of the Holy Spirit. So I'm a house of miracles. I'm a miracle. I don't know about you. Anybody, anybody that's in Christ is an absolute bona fide miracle. Miracle. The Holy Spirit, you know how he guards us? He guards us. Now, you may have never thought of this as a defensive situation, but he, he guards us with comfort. There's something about the comfort of the Holy Spirit that makes a difference in our lives when we trust him. You see, when your understanding goes completely off the grid and it doesn't make sense to you, the Holy Spirit will comfort you and change everything about you, maybe not the situation. I'm pretty tired of trying to change situations. How about you? I'm wore out of trying to change situations. That's what we learn about God. He's the only source of real peace, and he guards our hearts. And that's not bad. I could settle for that right there out of the Scripture. But he goes on. Now, what do we learn about people? What I learn about people when I read something like this? Well, the first thing I think we learn is that our relationships are very, very fragile and need maintenance. You know, I was talking to a home builder one day, and he said, you know, people constantly come to me, and they want me to build them a home. They say, can you build me a home that's maintenance-free? Wouldn't you like to have a house that's maintenance-free? And all the men said, amen. <laughs> he said, I, I, I can build you a good house, but I cannot build a house that is maintenance-free. And I'm sure most of you have seen homes that people move out of for some reason or other, and they stay vacant. And it is amazing that it's just sitting there vacant, but yet in, in a year or two, all of a sudden the boards are falling off. Isn't that amazing? That the, the, the window caves in or, or whatever, you know, just because there's no maintenance taking place there. So in Philippians 4.2, he says this. He says, I entreat you, Odiah, and I entreat Suntuke. I want you to agree in the Lord. Now, I, I've always had a situation with this particular verse because, like, what's up with that? I mean, I can't hardly pronounce their names, but what, what are they doing in the Bible? I mean, and, and then I realized that the Bible is alive, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, and that it's God-breathed, and we believe that the Scriptures were written by men of old as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So evidently the Holy Spirit wanted this in the Bible, and wanted to use these two women as examples about getting their relationship right. And the thing about it is these weren't just two women off on the side. These were women who worked with the Apostle Paul and the other apostolic leaders. I mean, they up there in the upper crust of the leadership. And he's saying they got a problem in their relationship. And I want them to fix it. You see, folks relationships. You've heard that word so much. 
You know why you hear it so much? Because it's so important. And, and, and there's nothing easy about relationships, really and truly. It takes a lot of work to have a good friend, a, a, to have a good marriage or to have good relationships. And, and because we are apt to uh, really do some things that cause problems. And I had years ago come up with a, with a plan to help people, especially married couples, because you're always together up in the house all the time with them kids and those bills and maybe that neighbor. You know what I'm talking about. And so I said, you know what, and I'll use Jan as an example, just me and Jan. If Jan will do everything in her power to not be offended by Van, and if Van will do everything in his power not to offend her and then switch it around, guess what? There's going to be much less offense and problems in our relationship. Can you agree with that? Does that seem like something maybe makes sense to us that if we really try hard not to get all sideways, bitter, angry, disgusted, disconnected, and discontented? Wouldn't it be better just kind of work a little harder? Because it takes much more work to be bitter than not. And so work on that. I mean, you say, what do we learn about people? Well, we learn that there, there is sort of like a, a, something we can work with. So let's say it breaks through all that and we got a problem. The Bible tells us how to work through this. This stuff works, folks. First, you're going to have to forbear with people. Did you, did you realize that? Have you lived long enough to realize that you have to forbear with people? Even maybe on your teams, which you're working up in here, you know, with them kids in the back or maybe over here in the coffee or whatever you do. Do you know that you have to forbear with people? That means you just have to uh, put up with it. And not only that, but if that breaks down, in other words, if, if the enemy of your soul breaks through that, then you just have to forgive. And forgiveness is not easy for most people, but it's essential for all people. You have to forgive. And, and just, it's so simple. Just forgive. Try it. There's a resident power in your ability to forgive. And if that doesn't work, then just keep quiet. How about that? Can we just put it in our language that we understand? Why don't we just shut up? Just shut up. You'd be surprised what will happen to an argument with people if you just shut up. And then I would say, if that doesn't work, just leave it alone, man. Just leave it. Now, I know that some of you are in much tougher situations than that, and these things are not just so easy as four little quippish sayings from the pulpit, but at least some instruments, some tools to work with. Philippians 4, 6, he tells us, do not be anxious about anything. We just sang about that. Don't be anxious about anything. So what do we learn? We learn that we are apt to worry when we look to the natural rather than the spiritual. We're apt to do that because it seems like I've lived long enough to realize that we do that. 
We go to the natural first. We just got, that's our first go-to. And then when we get all tied up in that, we sometimes go to the spiritual. And it's, the reason is because we, we, we haven't perfected yet completely trusting God. You know that? Our circumstances and our situations that we face, we, we, we have to face them with unwavering faith in God. We, we have to work on faith in God because God is God and, and God will do what he said he will do. He really is the God of covenant. We just sang it. He's the God of promise and he's the God that changes things in our life. Circumstances. They're always life. Life doesn't always turn out the way you would want it to turn out. As a matter of fact, I would be safe to say I believe that life will more than likely hardly ever turn out, especially the end of life. Brother Ed, uh, my pastor for 42 years, uh, went to be with Jesus Thursday. And, uh, you know, the end of his life wasn't what I wanted, wasn't what I would have planned for it to be. It's all the years I knew him, just a vibrant, wonderful man, wonderful friend, mentor, really my father, actually. And uh, the last three years of his life were not what you would consider to be the victorious life. I made 70 this past week, you know, and I'm wondering what's in store for me at the end of my life. I'd like to go out in a flame of glory. Wouldn't you? I mean, like riding a stallion. <laughs> not laying on a bed and not knowing who my wife was for, for the last five years. That's why we have to trust God. That's why when we, when we sing words like, we're going to rise from the grave. It has substance to it. It means something. It is the great hope, the resurrection. Another thing is that we're apt to worry when we expect more out of this natural life than God has promised. Because sometimes somewhere it sneaks in, we're taught that's, that life is supposed to be a certain way, and so we have these expectations of what the Christian life is even like. And it doesn't turn out that way. It's just not that way. It's like, wait a minute. I was watching Brother So-and-so on TV, and he's on fire. And he told me about I should, and it could, and I would if it did. And, and I've done all that, and it's not working that way. I got to go to work Monday on the back of that truck. <laughs> and my house doesn't look like his. In other words, we allow our situation to override what God says to us in his word. Like, what has he really promised? Well, here's a statement that I think you need to get. And that is that faith faces fact. I mean, excuse me, fear. It faces fear. Faith faces fear. You, you cannot deny fear. How many of you have ever uh, experienced real fear? Fear, I mean, real fear. I'm not talking about fear of, you know, heights. That's, I'm not talking about, I'm talking about, I'm talking about fear, man, that shakes you to the very core of your life. 
I have. Bonafide. Massive warfare. But faith, faith is that. Matthew 6, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious. There it is. Don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on it. It's not life. Listen to this. It's not life more than food and the body more than clothing. He's kind of just setting the stage and saying, you know what, there's a pecking order here and what's important in our life. And if you are looking at the wrong things, you're going to have to deal with fear or anxiety. Don't try to be something you're not. Not only does faith face fear, but faith faces fact. There's no denial. You know, denying something that's not there doesn't change it from being there. Right? If you get fired tomorrow morning from your job, hopefully you won't. Well, some of you might wish you did, maybe. But if you got fired from that job you love so much, for you to say, I didn't get fired, I didn't get fired, that's a denial. Wait till payday and (laughs) it's not going to be there. But faith faces facts. Jesus said in John 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. There's that peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So, there it is again. There is no peace in the world, but there's a whole lot of trouble in the world. There's all kinds of trouble. Embrace it. There's going to be trouble, all kinds of trouble. But Jesus says, look to him because he's overcome all of that stuff. And so this thing of acting to worry, we've got a process to reach real peace. We've got a process to handle this. There is processes in the Word of God, and here we are given the process in the sixth verse. Do not be anxious about anything. That's, a, that's really a command. God saying to you, hey, stop being anxious about that. How many of you have ever worried about things in your life and then you found out that there was no real need to worry? And then you said, oh, man. Like everything you've ever worried about in your entire life falls in that category. You've worried about your job, your money, the kids, the house, the car, what, the that, the that. And here you are today. Look at you. You're here. You made it. But in everything, everything at the feet of Jesus, everything in the name of Jesus, this is a house of miracles. I mean, we're proclaiming the scriptures. That's why some of you need to start singing because you're proclaiming the scriptures. And when you proclaim the scriptures, they come alive. In the name of Jesus, come alive in the name of Jesus. Everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Mm. You see, it's not about our trial. It's about our God. Did you get that? Quit mastering on your, your trial And start mastering on your God, who is the only one who is able to do exceedingly, 
abundantly above anything you're able to ask or even think. That's the God that we serve. You make your requests known unto God. Think about it. We're, we're admonished in Hebrews to come boldly before the throne of grace that we might find help in time of trouble. Where do you find help when you're in trouble? The throne. Not the internet. Not some stupid thing that we think is going to help things out. But the throne of grace. That's where the help is found. That's spiritual, folks. I mean, it just is. You pray to God you've never seen. You believe for something that's impossible. And then the God that you've never seen but yet you still believe comes through. And you see a miracle. And the only thing you then can do is rejoice and give him praise and glory. Because he did something great. This is trusting God. Every prayer, every supplication, worship requests. Worship requests framed in thanksgiving. Can you do that? Father, we thank you. You know, this is what, this is what you say. You don't know. Some of you bowed your heads. You're so like, I'm going to pray right now. No, no. <laughs> we are so something, aren't we? You know, it's like we say Father, and it's like. We are like so. We like something. We are something. We got something else. You know that? We need to kind of just, let's shake this thing, man. But anyhow, Father, I ask you to reconcile my family. I believe that you can do everything perfect, Lord. And I want to thank you that it's going to be done in the name of Jesus. And then you live in that. You rest in that. You do everything that you can, and then you rest in what God can do. So what does God want me to do? We learn, what do I learn about God? What do I learn about people? And these are not exhaustive, of course. But what do I learn about God? What, 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 what is exactly, what does God want me to do today with what we're talking about today? Number one, God wants you to reconcile your relationships. That's right. Some of you have fragmented relationships with your parents, maybe your, your spouse, maybe your children. I, you know, only you know and God knows. You've you got to reconcile those. You say, well, well, Pastor, tell me how to do that. Well, just do your part and then believe God. You can't control other people. And if you're trying to manipulate things into reconciliation, you need to stop today because that's really divisive. You cannot manipulate people into reconciling. But you can trust God and do everything in your part. And the Bible teaches us that we're to be at peace with all people, with everything that's within us. In other words, everything that's on my side that I can do, I'm going to do. And then all of a sudden, it's a house of miracles. And slowly but surely, things begin to come around. Everything at the feet of Jesus. Then he wants us to petition him for all of our needs. Sooner or later, we find out that God is the only God of hope. And so sooner or later, you're going to come to a place where, where you, you, you don't immediately go to what you can do about it. Like you're God or something. You know, it's like, I'm going to my God, me. Here I go. I'm going to fix this thing, man. I'm a fixer by nature. Sometimes it gets Jan aggravated. When, one day, Jan, I'm going to just be honest with you. She told me, she said, Van, I don't want you to fix nothing. I don't want you to fix this. Just listen to me. You bring your petitions before God. This is what God wants. And then the third thing, and I want to spend a little bit of time on this if we're going to be done. He wants you to discipline your mind. To discipline your mind. 
Philippians 4.8. Finally, he's kind of winding this thing up, man. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, there's any excellence there, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Can I tell you, church, I'm going to just take a wild shot in the dark. I believe that many of you in this room right now think on the wrong things. I'm just going to take a shot in the dark. If you're, get, if you're getting, your, if you're getting your, your daily dose of CNN and Fox and News Nation and whatever else is floating out there, if that's what you're chewing on, if that's what you're putting in your mind, <laughs> Wow. Wow. God tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 1, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, remember, but of power and of love and a sound mind. And that word, that, that, those two words, sound mind, that self-control, excuse me, self-control really means a disciplined mind. Did you know that you have to discipline your mind? Your mind is like a pit bulldog that's like got rabies, man, that's like... <laughs> crazy, your mind will run. How, how many of you, when you lay down at night, and your mind just takes off and just like goes into places like, whoa, man, is that crazy? How did I get over there? I started thinking about my dog, and now I'm over here in this dark space of hopelessness and despair or hatred or resentment. You have to discipline your mind. You have to put that dog on a short chain. You know, if you got a chihuahua, you put him on one of those little leeches about 30 feet. Who cares? He's a chihuahua. We're babysitting Jordan, Pastor Jordan's dog right now, uh, Pixie. And, you know, it's like, you, you can give her about 200 yards. She ain't going nowhere. She don't even need a leech. She just barks and picks her feet up when she barks. But if you've got one of these dogs, and you know what I'm talking about, got a head about that big. You get a big chain, you make it about that long. And you keep that dog on a short chain. And your mind is just like that. You have to put it on a short chain. Because how you think is how you live. Understand this, that, that a thought always breeds an action. And action, as you continue to carry it on, breeds character in you. And then character, guess what? Character will decide your destiny. It really will. It, it really will. So, the, the, you know, can I say this without being negative? There's no real hope in this world. I'm not trying to fix this world. I've spent the last 42 years of my life seeking to extract people out of this world. When the Titanic was sinking, they were trying to extract people off of that ship into a lifeboat. No one was trying to fix the gash in the hull. And no one was going around straightening the pictures on the wall or polishing the brass on the upper deck. It's like, get out. That's where my energy is going. What about you? 
I like my family out of this world into the kingdom where there's hope of the resurrection. Colossians 3.2 says, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Wow. What's above? Where God is. Your life is hid in Christ with God. And because you have died to the elementary principles of this world, you now set your affections on the things above, not on the things of this earth. We do our jobs and we mow our grass and keep our car filled with gas and stuff like that. That's just to get around on this earth until Jesus calls. We raise our kids of course, so they could be good, upstanding citizens, decent human beings. But we train our kids for the kingdom. We believe for our kids for the kingdom. Paul ends real quick and he says, I want you to practice these things. Practice what you have learned, what you've learned today. And what you've received and heard today. And what you see in the people that you do life with who love the Lord. Your pastor here who leads you with a pure heart to the best of his ability that God has given him. What you see in these young men as they are an example he said, those practice these things. In other words, put them into action, and the God of peace will be with you. We could jump right up to the very beginning of this message where he says in there, stand firm. It's time to stand firm, folks, and embrace the unseen kingdom. And his principles. We're not of this world anymore. Nope. We're hid with Christ in God. And I don't know about you, but that's the best place any living human being could be. Can we just close our eyes just for a minute right now? Kind of give God another few moments. The Bible teaches us that we are to examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith. And so I think this is a good time right now for you to examine yourself and to ask yourself the question, am I in the faith? Do I know Jesus? Does he know me? Am I in relationship with the Lord? Have I been converted to faith in Jesus Christ? And if you're even wondering about that, if you've got to think about that for more than about a couple of seconds, then you're the person that I want to pray with right now. Not going to be anything that you have to do except sit there and open your heart to Jesus Christ. And just say something like this, Jesus, you're God, 
You know me. You know my heart. You know where I am. I confess to you that I was born in sin and I've committed much sin. I ask you to come inside of me and change my life. Forgive me of my sin. I repent. I change my way of thinking. And I embrace your kingdom the best I know how. I surrender now. And I thank you for that, God. Change me in Jesus' name. And Father, I pray for this group of people in this room right now. That what we heard today, that we would put into practice. Help us, Lord. <laughs> help us in our relationships. Help us to be heavenly minded more than earthly minded. Help us to love and forgive and forbear. More than everything, Lord, help us to love you with all of our heart and to love people also. We thank you for that, Lord. We give you the honor and we give you the praise for everything. In the wonderful name of Jesus. And everybody said amen.